To Casa de Midnight Cory. Oh, yes. Yes, it's another podcast. And boy, boy, it is a hectic time in my life. A hectic point. Uh, I got so much going on. You guys know that. Uh, and first off, I apologize to everyone who's been, like, emailing me and things like that over the last, like, six or eight weeks. And I've either not responded to you at all or I'm really, really slow in getting back to you with things. Um, especially people who have been cool enough to be sending me in, like, zombie news and things about movies and stuff that uh, I could talk about on the podcast. I really appreciate that, and it's just like I've missed so many things. Uh, and it's all because I'm so busy. I'm pulled in a ton of directions right now. This is the busiest I've ever been. Um, and it, it's not helpful that it's National Novel Writing Month now, and that I can't help myself, but, you know, go for it and, and try to write. So every day I'm trying to write... You know, a couple thousand words. <sighs> Working on my movie. Actually, no. My movie has been suffering in the past week or so, ever since the beginning of November, because I'm using all my spare time to write. And that's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's good that I'm writing. But my movie is just kind of in that stage right now where I'm doing a lot of audio stuff, and it's kind of kind of monotonous, kind of, you know, just a lot of busy work, it seems like, to get that thing done. But, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, uh, I'll get back into it. I just have to, I think, figure out my allotment of time here a little bit better and how I'm rationing things off. Oh, for all of my creative efforts that I'm just heaping upon all of you guys who, for some reason, for some reason, uh, stick with it and listen to the show and watch my stuff and everything. And I really appreciate it. So thank you for listening today. You're a wonderful, wonderful human being for taking the time to download the show, to listen to me ramble on and drink coffee and not make much sense. Oh, yep, sorry about that. But uh, anyhow, one of the things that I missed talking about, I should have talked about this last week, it was sitting right in my email box, right in front of my face, and I, I, I missed it altogether. And what bums me out the most is this has to do with one of my good friends, Tom Burdinsky. Um, But it's all about a new DVD release, and I'm going to go ahead and talk about this now. Even though the, the release of this DVD is going on this very weekend, so there's a good chance you haven't even, uh, you know, listened to the podcast before this happens. So this might be after the fact. But if you listen to the show right away, then, you know, you can still get to this. <laughs> but like I said, a new DVD release of the Italian zombie movies, so parts one and two, including a director's cut of part two, about to go on sale featuring the gorgeous girls from Midnight Mausoleum. And it's called Midnight Mausoleum Presents the Italian Zombie Movie Part 1 and 2 Summer Camp Special DVD. So this DVD is going to be available for the very first time in limited quantities, very limited quantities, at Horror Hound Cincinnati. It's taking place this very weekend, November 12th through the 14th. I know a lot of you will probably be going to that, so stop by Tom's table, say hello, pick up one of these DVDs, so, Tom is a great guy, y'all know that. Uh, Midnight Mausoleum, of course, a horror host show, so this is like an episode of the horror host show featuring both of the uh, Italian zombie movies. So, yeah, just absolutely fantastic. Stuff on the DVD, Marlena Midnight and Robin Graves, who are the hosts, 
Um, they host the uh, unrated version of uh, parts one and two of the Italian zombie movie. Of course, uh, zombie abomination and zombie atrocity. <laughs> so that's over four hours of shenanigans. Uh, we got all kinds of interviews. Uh, an interview with Tom Burdinsky, uh, cast and crew commentary, um, things from Midnight Mausoleum, uh, summer camp skits that they didn't show on TV, preview trailers, uh, a whole lot of horror host and convention extras, uh, a whole lot of stuff. Plus, this is cool, the first 15 people who buy this DVD are also going to get a free MP3 CD of the popular, highly popular, number one on the charts with a bullet, the uh, Italian zombie movie soundtrack, which is great, actually. Tom gave me one of those, and it's it's a great soundtrack. I, it's in regular rotation in my car. So in my car, I don't know why I'm talking about this in the middle of my plug for <laughs> Italian zombie movie. But in my car, it's like the weirdest thing. It's uh, the Italian zombie movie soundtrack, the new Melvins, uh, Cannibal Corpse, and uh, Six Feet Under, and Meshuggah. So regular rotation of all those guys. I think, no, I have Sun Ra in there, too, actually. I have a Sun Ra CD in there. Sun Ra is great. Uh, if you like jazz at all, Sun Ra is the place to be. Nuclear war, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> where was I? Uh, yeah, you'll get uh, an MP3 CD with uh, that soundtrack on it, um, which is 26 tracks of music from both of the movies. Uh, also, a whole bunch of interviews on there from, and I know you've heard of all these before, a Little Dead podcast, the Creepshire Feature Horror Show, Nerd Remix, uh, some stupid podcast called The Midnight Podcast. It's just one of those, you know, fly-by-night, here-today, gone-tomorrow kind of podcast things. I don't know. Um, and uh, Misfit Boys, Movie Madness, The Splattercast, Sandman's Movie Rant, all kinds of all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I even though these will be sold for the first time this weekend at Horror Hound in Cincinnati, um, they will be available afterward also, but these are limited quantities, so you're going to want to pick this up. So I have all kinds of links up in the show notes. I'm sorry, Tom, I didn't talk about this last week. Man, it's just, wow, life has just got me on a short leash these days, <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyhow, anyhow, what are we doing this week? Oh, man, I got to get my brain together here. Uh, MidnightCory.com is my website. Go check it out. I am in the middle of making that movie, uh, YouTube stuff up there. I need to make another update, of course. Need to work that into my schedule. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, things I'm talking about this week. Uh, I DVR'd The Walking Dead Episode 2 and uh, watched it this week, so I'll be talking about that. And I also have Spooky Bill calling in again about his thoughts on Episode 2, which is really, really cool. Uh, and I'd like to hear from more of you, more opinions about The Walking Dead. That would be great. Um, and here's the thing. Last week, I told you that uh, my last movie, my last zombie movie that I'd be talking about from the 1950s would be Invisible Invaders. And I could have sworn I had that DVD laying around here somewhere, and I tore this place apart and did not find Invisible Invaders anywhere. I've never watched it before, but I know I had it on DVD. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to, you know, promise you something and then never deliver on it uh, just because I made a mistake in thinking that I had a copy of this movie somewhere. It's actually kind of obscure, but I found a very cheap copy used on Amazon for like three bucks. So I should be getting it in early, I would think, next week. And uh, so I'll talk about Invisible Invaders next week. So I had to find something to replace Invisible Invaders with. 
and completely arbitrarily, but in a weird way it somehow works in, I managed to choose the movie from 1951 called Bride of the Gorilla. <laughs> How random is that? It's great. So yeah, I'll be talking about Bride of the Gorilla. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I also have a Netflix instant watch recommendation, which I was really happy to, to kind of stumble upon this week. Um, so should I tell you what it is now? No, no. It'll be a surprise. It's a good one. I uh, got some voicemails and, of course, original music, and uh, I talked a little bit about what that was going to be last week. That's coming up. Um, yeah, yeah. No, nothing that I'm going to talk about, zombie news or any kind of other news. I got lazy. I'm too busy to find you guys' articles anymore. So, And then when you guys actually send them to me, I sometimes, most of the time, forget to read them. So, yeah. Wow, what a weird start to the podcast. I'm just going to pause here and then we'll talk about some movies. All right, if you got Netflix, I want you to get online right now. You can watch this great, great film. I was so happy to see this on here. I stumbled upon this uh, just going through lists of movies and their recommendations for me. And this one came up. This is a movie from the 20s, from 1929. A movie that you may or may not even know about at all. It's a French title, and I don't speak French, so I'm probably mispronouncing all the French stuff that I'm going to be talking about here. But uh, it's called Un Chien Andalou. And I know I have you know, yeah, sorry. Its translation in English is An Andalusian Dog. And this is a movie by famed artist Salvador Dali, who, uh, you know, is a very surreal kind of artist. And also Louis Bunnell. And they're actually both in the film. Um, Bunnell appears as the guy that uh, uses the razor to slice the woman's eye open. And uh, Dolly is actually one of the priests that we see a little bit later on. But uh, this is a silent film, and it's only 15 minutes long. It's in black and white. Total 20s look to it. Um, and like I said, I was so happy to find this on Netflix. I haven't seen this for years. I haven't seen it for years. And the thing is about this movie is that, you know, people who fancy themselves as, you know, film experts or film critics or, you know, a lot of film students... Um, you know, they, they love to talk about this. They, they always feel smart discussing this film. <laughs> if you take a film class, then, uh, you know, you're, you're going to feel like you can talk about this and actually know something about film. Um, you know, people talk about its surrealism and its place among the avant-garde films of the 20s, and, you know, they'll talk your ear off about it. Um, it is a very important film, and don't get me wrong, I mean, this is probably one of the uh, most popular and most widespread movies in the whole surrealist thing that was going on in the 20s. But, uh, you know, I, I first saw this, of course, in one of my film classes in college, and uh, it was actually right after we watched Metropolis for the first time, which just, like, changed my life. Um, but this movie makes very little sense at all. It's basically set up like a dream. This is probably one of the best dreamlike movies that I've ever seen. You know, time is real disjointed, Things disappear and reappear. Things change into other things. Um, it, you know, it starts off, like I said, with with a woman's eye being sliced open with a straight razor. And it, it's done right in front of the, the camera. 
And uh, her, it's actually a calf's eye. They took a dead calf and sliced its eye open. So it's very, very realistic. You know, this effect from over 80 years ago looks better than the majority of violent effects in even recent movies. So there you go. And it's just weird stuff happens the whole time, you know. We got, we got this guy that's concerned about, you know, the hole in the middle of his hand that ants are crawling out of. We got a guy in a, a nun's habit that's riding a bike around town and has this wooden box around his neck. We've got people poking at a severed hand that's in the middle of the street. Uh, and then one of the most famous scenes, other than the eye scene, is a, a, a man using these really heavy ropes to pull two grand pianos, two rotting donkeys, the Ten Commandments stone tablets, and two priests. <laughs> He's pulling all of them with these ropes. Yeah, this thing is a trip, man. This thing is a total trip. <laughs> but it is one of my favorite movies. I mean, I love this thing. I've watched it like three times in a row. It's only 15 minutes, so you can watch it over and over again, which is what I did. I watched it three times in a row, and really to soak it in again after all this time. Uh, it's really, like I said, one of my favorites. I love the 20s era of film. I just absolutely love it. And just, you think about how different society was, how different technology was, and business, you know, we had the Great Depression. People were out of work even worse than they are now. Um, and I, I just love silent films. I love the, the grainy film look and the, the old original ways of doing tricks and effects with the camera. You know, it's just cool. I, I just, I, I love the 20s and I really, Think that at some point I need to really go in depth about films of the 20s because there are some crazy ones, you know, Chaplin stuff and oh, just so much. Metropolis, like I said, M. Wow, wow. Well, here's some things, and I pulled this off of uh, IMDb, or not IMDb, Wikipedia. Pulled this off of Wikipedia, and I hate being one of those podcasts that uses Wikipedia as a, as a source. But uh, this is just interesting. Uh, a couple quotes from Bunnell. Um, and it's, it's about when people try to analyze this film. You know, a lot of people try to sound smart. And they try to really, I think, look into this film so much and a little too much. And it, it's all in the intentions, I think, of the original makers, which were Bunnell and Dolly. And uh, here's what Bunnell said, and Dolly was in agreement with all these statements. He said, no idea or image that might lend itself to a rational or explanation of any kind would be accepted when they made this film. <laughs> so, this film means nothing. It is just an experience. That's all it is. And, and again, this film, this film influenced so many films since then. Because uh, the first thing I think of when I hear that quote is like uh, a lot of the Italian zombie movies. Um, and Italian horror, European horror from the 70s and the 80s, the exploitation kind of thing, where, uh, you know, especially Fulci, you look at like City of the Dead and, and movies like that that are more of an experience, the beyond, they're more imagery th than necessarily straight linear plot. And uh, that's what we see in this. Now, in An Andalusian Dog here, it's, uh, <laughs> it's taken to the extreme. But something else that uh, Bunnell said is, Nothing in the film symbolizes anything. The only method of investigation of the symbols would be, perhaps, psychoanalysis. <laughs> oh, exactly. It's a stream of, of weird consciousness. It's, it's a dream, like I said. So, yeah, don't read into this one too much. I know it's, people think they're smart, 
Oh, we'll go into this. So many critics. Oh, yeah, it just drives you nuts. This film's an experience. Don't read into it. Just experience it. Take 15 minutes out of your day and watch Unchien on Delu. So I give this a 10 out of 10. This thing is perfect. Absolutely perfect. Available on Netflix Instant Watch.
All right. Alternate ending. Hey, everyone. Going to talk about episode two of the AMC TV series, The Walking Dead. And uh, before I do that, I'm going to play a voicemail from Spooky Bill, because he was so awesome as to call in and offer his thoughts and offer some really good thoughts on it. Um, things that got me thinking. But uh, and I just got to warn everybody, spoilers, spoilers. Okay, you know, we, we just have to talk about it. So if you haven't seen episode two or episode one or any of them yet, then uh, you're just going to want to forward through this. So, yeah. What are you going to do? But uh, here's my friend, Spooky Bill. Hey, Corey, it's Spooky Bill. Calling in uh, to just talk about episode two of The Walking Dead. I watched it last night. And uh, one complaint, well, I actually have a couple complaints on it. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, The only problems were, well, one, it was just too damn short. An hour just went by too damn fast. And, uh, uh, yeah, just, just. It needs to be longer, because I don't want to have to wait another week to watch episode three. That's just me. Um, the other thing is me, because I'm having, I guess, I'm having a hard time separating the book from, or the, the yeah, the book from the show. Uh, there's, you know, there's parts, I, there's parts like all the people in the city, um, Glenn. Um, I, you know what? I don't know if you've watched it, so I don't want to spoil it, but I'll tell you, Glenn led an expedition into the city, and he's not the only one one there that helps rescue Rick. Um, you know, there's a bunch of new characters, and, uh, and uh, you, know, I, you know, I don't know too much about them, so maybe they're cool, um, but I just have trouble, I guess, separating uh, the book from the show you know, you see the one character, okay, wait, who's that? They're not in the book. I don't know. Do I like them? I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's me or maybe it's just the, the development. You know, we don't know too much about those characters yet. Um, and then, you know, another complaint, I guess, is Shane. The guy's a dick. I mean, really, what does Lori see in him? He's just a dick. Um, but I, actually, that's probably all she does see in him. Anyway, um, but I guess that does set up their, you know, marital problems. And it is an interesting plot point. The amount of gore in the next, uh, in episode two is really good. Um, you know, the whole scene where they figure out how do you walk amongst the dead happens. And um, having read that part of the comic, I, I knew what was going to come. And, uh, but it was still pretty tense waiting for it to happen, watching them walk around the dead. And uh, actually, it was pretty gory. Pretty uh, a lot of gore on them. A lot, lot more than uh, the comic shows. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I guess my biggest complaint is it was just too damn short. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'd rather just sit through them all. But uh, yeah, no, nothing, nothing major. No major complaints. But uh, oh no, you know, it, honestly, it doesn't seem like a whole lot happened. You know, okay, they got out of the city. We got to introduce to a few more characters. We saw some shacking up and uh yeah that's pretty much it um glenn glenn i like glenn um well the other characters uh, yeah like i said what's his name sea dog or something like that i don't know i could care less about him the guy they chained up on the roof yeah who cares he's just a casualty i guess i don't know he's a he's a what do they call it in star trek a red shirt yeah i don't know that's what i feel like unless they bring him in later um, anyway, I've gotten to the point where I'm starting to uh, babble and ramble, and uh, 
I don't want to do that anymore. Okay, so I will tell you to have an awesome week, and I can't wait to hear your next episode and watch the next episode of The Walking Dead on AMC. Ah, there we go. Thank you, Spooky Bill. Uh, You brought up some great things, you know. I am in the same boat here as far as having a really hard time separating the comic and the TV show. I think, deep down inside, I want the TV show to follow the comic. To a T, pretty much. But uh, they're not doing that. And uh, I I agree with you totally that uh, I think they tried to pack a lot into episode two. And I think it was very short. I think 90 minutes would have done it a lot better. Especially with the amount of new characters that we see. And uh, you, you hit on the new characters a little bit. Um, and I think, uh, I'm not sure that I like them. I, I, I don't think I do. Um, but I'll get into that here, here in a little bit. But, uh, I agree with you about Shane. Shane in the comic book was, um, a little more, he appeared a little more stable and not as much of a jerk, uh, right off the bat. Um, he appears somewhat strong when they're at first in the camp. And you meet everybody, but uh, you can see there's a little something not right. Like maybe he's a little bit, a little bit off, off balance, a little, a little unstable. And uh, but pretty much, I think from even episode one, you don't like Shane at all. But uh, I, I liked him right off the bat in the comic book. And then we got to the camp and found out what was going on, and he was a little crazy. And then you, you end up not liking him. But here, I think you just don't like him right off the bat, which is a shame. But episode two starts off with a last time on The Walking Dead kind of segment that uh, it just reminds me of Lost. I watched every episode of Lost throughout its whole run, and I really liked it. And uh, but they did that every time, and so I just think of Lost whenever <laughs> they do that now. Um, but uh, it features a great opening Steadicam shot at the camp where they follow one of the girls, and I'm not sure which which one of the girls they were following at that point, but they follow her as she kind of walks through the camp, and you're just kind of seeing her legs, and uh, it's really neat. And I I love the artistry and the filmmaking, the cinematography that's going on with this TV show. It looks great. So this opening shot I actually expected to have a lot more to do with the camp, because that's pretty much the opening thing. But uh, it doesn't. It actually focuses on things that go on in the city. Uh, of course, we heard Glenn over the CB, or, or the, yeah, the CB, the walkie-talkie, the radio, at the end of the last episode as Rick was trapped in the tank. And here we see Glenn helping Rick get out of the tank, telling him what to do, where to go, meets up with him, and uh, which, okay, we're back in line with the comic book a little bit more, but, uh, you know, then things from there take a turn for the crazy and things that we have never seen happen in the comic at all. And those new characters are definitely part of it. But things do happen back in the camp. We see a, uh, a relationship between Shane and Lori, a very intimate relationship. While they're at the camp, we see them getting it on. <laughs> and... Uh, Um, yeah, and we never saw that in the comic. Actually, I don't believe that they were still very intimate at all once the comic happens. And I think once they get to the camp and things are weird, that uh, they're kind of starting to to drift apart a little bit. And it's more like what happened that night along the highway in the comic book between Shane and Lori was like a one-time thing because she felt weak and, and she was dealing with the sudden loss of her husband, so she thought... 
And so, you know, in the TV show, man, she goes as far as, you know, they're laying down in the woods about to do it. And she, she has the wedding ring from Rick hanging around her neck, and she takes it off and throws it in the grass. <laughs> and yeah, then they're getting it on. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. So we're not that fond of Lori either, <laughs> right off the bat. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but uh, something that is going to definitely be a plot point here is that the fact that Rick finds a grenade while he's in the tank. And I'm just wondering what this grenade is going to be used for. Hmm. I think he's going to pull it out at a very opportune time. <sighs> but uh, we see Glenn rescue Rick, basically, uh, from the tank. He gets out, they run, and uh, they go up the fire escape to the tops of buildings. They find the building they want, they drop down into it, and we find a whole bunch of people there. So Glenn isn't just by himself in the city. He's brought this whole bunch of people with him. And they kind of orchestrate a few things, so they take out some zombies, defend a few doors, so that Glenn can get in and out and get what he needs. But yeah, in the comic, he brought nobody with him. He left everybody at camp. So consequently, we see a lot of new people, although uh, one of the people who we saw from the comic that is in here is Andrea, which uh, she is a, a huge, huge main character in this all. But uh, other than that, I didn't recognize anybody else. Um, you know, we have black people with them and other people that I uh, definitely didn't recognize, <laughs> you know. I don't think we had any black people at the camp uh, at all in the comic. So, and of course, all these people are fighting already. So why Glenn decided to bring a group of people into the city with him who are already bickering and quarreling, uh, I don't know. Unless he found them when they came into the city and he's taking them back to the camp. I don't think so. I think all these people came from the camp. And yeah, some really bad things happen, consequently. <laughs> and it gets to the point, you know, Rick is there and he handcuffs the one guy to a pipe on the roof. And this guy, he's a racist, just spouting off all these racist things and really angering the black people there. <laughs> and uh, they say the N-word. Oh, the N-word. <laughs> uh, on TV, which is, you know, pretty ballsy, I think. But this guy, you know, they leave him handcuffed to the pipe and they leave him they get out of the city and there's there's a whole struggle there what are they going to do are they going to leave him rescue him and it's pretty cool but um he doesn't die as the episode comes to a close he's kind of chained there and he's ticked but here's my prediction about this guy you want to know what it is my prediction about him is that that's not the last we're going to see of him I'm thinking that he's going to do something extreme like gnaw off his hand or something like that to escape from this building and I think that this guy is going to be the governor. I think he is. Uh, I'm just, I'm kind of going out on a limb here. But being that he did not die at the end of the episode, we didn't see that. Uh, and he was just so much of a jerk. Um, I think that he's really going to turn sick. And I think that, I think that this guy's going to be the governor. So we'll see. But uh, then they're trying to escape from this building because now they can't get out of the city the way that they got there because they attracted all these zombies with all of Rick's hoo-ha. And so they get down into the sewers trying to find a way out and uh, we see a cool scene of a zombie eating a rat. And uh, so that's kind of cool. And uh, yeah, it, it's actually a very intense episode. Glenn is quite the stunt driver. I mean, he can whip a car around like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> And uh, I was kind of disappointed with all the, the fast driving through the city that they're doing with both this uh, sports car and I think there's a van or a truck 
It's a, like a, a moving van kind of thing, a box van. And uh, there's no zombies hit by cars or trucks or anything, which was kind of a bummer. I, you know, you always like to see some zombies get run down by a car. And uh, it's one of my favorite things to do in uh, Dead Rising. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, all in all, this was very intense. It was all focused on the city with a few flashes of things going on at the camp. But, uh, you know, other than that, this is a lot of stuff that we have not seen before. But something that they managed to work in that actually happens much later in the comic is that uh, Rick and Glenn are trying to get out of the city. They're trying to find a way out and also trying to get to these cars and trucks. But, of course, the place is surrounded by zombies. And they end up getting the idea that, hey, these zombies can tell that we're living by our smell, so let's try and rub dead stuff all over us and see if we can walk out in the zombies. So, of course, we saw that later on in the comic book as uh, Rick and Glenn are going back into the city after they've already been to the camp. Um, and I think they rub pieces of, like, the dead deer on them. I'm not sure if it's the dead deer or if it was the zombie that was eating the deer. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so... Uh, they do that whole trick, and uh, it's actually a very disgusting, very kind of disturbing <laughs> scene there where they're hacking up the corpse, which is really cool. The amount of violence on here is still stunning. Absolutely stunning. I love it. But, uh, yeah, so Rick and Glenn rub this dead stuff all over them. They go as far as to hang entrails <laughs> around their neck, and, and they sever some feet and kind of make a little thing around them. <laughs> it's crazy. And then, of course, it begins to rain, washes it off of them, and so the zombies find out that they've been fooled, and so they chase Rick and Glenn, but they manage to get into the cars. There's a big ending to the episode, and it was very exciting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this was another stellar episode. Was it as good as episode one? No, no, I don't think it was. Uh, I think, you know, episode one was kind of the opening bang here to what I think is going to be a fantastic series. Second episode, or the second season has been green-lighted already, so that's fantastic. But no, no, I didn't like this quite as much, and it might have been due to, you know, all the new people. It was a 60-minute episode. We had a ton of new characters, had a ton of things going on, and it didn't focus on the camp like I thought it was gonna. I think Glenn was... I thought that Glenn was gonna rescue Rick and that they were gonna go back to the camp like they did in the comic, but they did not. A lot of new material here, but I, I think they're setting things up so that they're keeping, again, all the major plot things intact, but they're kind of mixing it up a little bit. And I think, like I said, I, with my governor prediction here, I think there's foreshadowing and we're going to see a lot of characters come back later, which happened a lot in the comic. You know, a lot of people that you know, we thought were maybe minor early on, we see them come back. If they if they didn't die and they went away, then they kind of work themselves back into the storyline. And yeah, I think that's what's going to happen here. So absolutely awesome. Looking forward to episode three, as always. And I just continue to be impressed by The Walking Dead TV show. Hey, Corey, this is Zombie Frida calling from Chicago. Um, have not talked to you for a while. Just wanted to call and say hi and um, let you know. Um, glad to hear that you are doing good. And uh, you had a good episode for Halloween. Uh, I liked all the, wow, you really had a uh, lot to say about movies. I was like, well, I think it was like eight movies you reviewed. Um, there was a lot of movies. Uh, but overall, I was able to check out one of them, um, the Dolls movie. 
Uh, that was actually a pretty good movie. Yeah, I found it interesting. Uh, I don't know. It seems like one of those, the girls in that movie, uh, Dolls, uh, one of the punk rock chicks, was she in Return of the Living Dead? Not sure, but she reminded me of that punk rock chick with the short hair. But anyways, um, went and saw Paranormal Activity 2. Uh, well, I would say uh, it was a good movie. Um, there were some parts in the movie that yeah, were, were pretty good and scary. Uh, I thought it was actually better than the first. The first, um, like you said, you know, the ending totally ruined it, uh, which I feel they messed it up. They should have kept to the way they first wanted it. But I think I heard Steven Spielberg got involved, and he changed the ending, which I'm shocked because the ending really, for the first one, Paranormal Activity 1, was uh, terrible. Uh, but you can go online, and actually they have an alternate ending you can see for that. And well, Paranormal Activity 2, I would say, first of all, the actors were not bad. They were good. Um, and uh, the plot was somewhat, you know, it was okay. Um, the effects, uh, the scare parts, the things that they used for the effects, was, uh, it was real subtle. There was no music. So that actually made you feel more scared. Um, the ending um, is probably, I think, scared me the most, the, the ending. It's completely when the movie uh, was done. Um, um, everyone's sitting in the theater, the, the movie ends, and there's a blank screen. You could hear something, but you couldn't really tell. There was no credit rolling or nothing. I mean, you sat there for a good maybe minute or so, and everyone all of a sudden just, like, is sitting there waiting and seeing what's going to happen next, and then the credits start rolling. It kind of gave me, like, that Blair Witch Project ending, which kind of freaked me a little because we're all waiting for something to happen, and nothing happened, and everyone just started laughing in the theater. So um, that part actually was pretty intimidating, the end. Um, but uh, I'd recommend you see it. It's a good Halloween movie. I told one of my friends. It's like um, kind of like a movie haunted house. Instead of going to an actual haunted house, uh, you were able to experience it on the screen. So um, great movie to watch maybe on a rainy day, you know, when you're at home. Uh, and third, The Walking Dead. I was able to catch it on Halloween night. Uh, it was awesome. Totally uh Everything I expected and more. Um, I am a big fan of the comic book. I've been reading it for years. And uh, it was really nice to see um, certain things that the comic book didn't offer that the, this guy, Jeremiah, uh, he actually was able to uh, give us a little more detailed information of what we didn't get in the comic book. Um, the special effects were awesome. Um, the movie actually kind of, um, the zombies, I felt a little bit like they were victims, and I felt kind of bad for them. And it was a, it was very sad. I mean, at the end of the the whole uh, Walking Dead series, I mean, the TV show, um, I was telling my husband, I, don't know, I felt kind of sad. I felt kind of like if, that, if I was in that situation, um, I don't know what I would do. Um, if I did see my loved one uh, walking around like a zombie, I don't think I could kill uh, my husband. I would be kind of sad. I don't know. But uh, it made me think about a lot of things, and uh, I hope this series stays on. So I heard from someone that if you watch it on demand, uh, to watch it, even watch the commercials. Because if you fast-forward the commercials, then it doesn't get credit or something. I don't know if that's true, but 
I heard that. So anyways, uh, watch it as much as you can so it stays on. <laughs> uh, and that's about it. Uh, it's raining here. Looks like it's going to snow today. It's uh, Thursday, and hope you get this voicemail in because I haven't been able to call you. But uh, thanks for doing such a great job, and take care. Hey, as always, Zombie Frida, it's great to hear from you. Uh, I'm glad that you checked out Dolls. And uh, I'm not sure if that punk girl was, was from Return or not. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. But uh, I love that, that whole punk look, man, from that time in the 80s. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> and uh, now you got me more interested in Paranormal Activity 2 because I haven't been reading any reviews or anything about it. I just know it's out there. Uh, so you got me really interested in it. And, uh, I, you know, I know about the end, man, of, of, of the first one. It was just terrible. And I did watch the alternate ending, which is a lot better than the original one. But I just hate when people step in like that and just take a project over and say, well, this is how I want the ending to be. And then it's all screwed up. So that was unfortunate. And yes, I agree. The Walking Dead is a thing of beauty. That TV show, uh, I've been wanting that to happen for a long time. And this is the best zombie anything that has come out, I think, in, in a long time. I think it does zombies right. They are Night of the Living Dead zombies through and through, you know, uh, because they do kind of a, a, a fast shuffle. They don't really run, but their, their gait is a little faster. And uh, they use rocks, you know, they broke the glass this week with rocks, and so we see them kind of using objects like that. So these are, these are very original Night of the Living Dead style zombies, which is fantastic. Um, and uh, speaking about the commercials, you know, you talked about if you're watching it uh, online or on demand or whatever, that uh, you need to watch the commercials so that it counts toward the, the ratings of the show or whatever. But um, did anybody catch the car commercial? It was a zombie car commercial. And I can't remember what brand it was for or what, what model or whatever. But uh, it was basically, the gist of the commercial was, this is a great car to have to escape from zombies. And uh, that happened during the first episode of The Walking Dead, and I forgot to mention it last week. But uh, I thought that was cool. I just kind of, it was one of the commercial breaks that I wasn't fast-forwarding through, because I was either talking to my wife or something came up, and uh, I let the commercials play out. And I caught that commercial, it was really cool. So I'm wondering if... I'm missing any other zombie commercials that are, you know, especially for The Walking Dead. I don't It would be cool if they were. But, uh, yeah, so, hey, thanks for calling in, Zombie Frida. I always love hearing from you. And feel free to call in as much as you want. That would be fantastic. of the Gorilla with Barbara Payton, Lon Chaney, Raymond Burr, and Tom Conway. The dramatic story of a strange curse that brought terror to a man and frenzy to a woman in love. Don't go away. You do love me, don't you? That's all I need to know. We are standing in my way and Dina's. We love each other. What are you going to do about it? Did you see this animal? Yes, I have seen the animal. It walks in his hind legs. Like a man? No, like a beast that walks like a man. Oh, let's go back, Bonnie, please. 
I'll never go back. Never. Stop. Go on. Why don't you shoot? You can't miss. of the gorilla 1951 this is one of these horror movies that has the word bride in it <laughs> and it, it's kind of weird the way i decided to watch this movie and talk about it here on the show because i needed a movie to replace invisible invaders and i was bummed that i couldn't watch the invisible invaders uh, i was looking forward to more crazy you know 50s sci-fi horror things so I'm looking around to see if I can find Invisible Invaders anywhere. And the one place that I checked to make sure where I didn't have it was on one of my Mill Creek collections. You know, one of the big 50 packs of public domain movies. Um, and I had a sci-fi one. And uh, I'm like, oh, I thought maybe, maybe Invisible Invaders is on that. So, of course, I looked and it wasn't on there. But I decided to pick a movie off of that collection <laughs> to uh, talk about today. Bride of the Gorilla was one of them. I'm like, that sounds crazy. I'm going to watch it. I didn't even read the synopsis. I just put it in and started watching. And it's actually funny. A lot of the connections here with movies that I've been talking about. Uh, the director, Kurt Siodmak, or however you pronounce it. He actually co-wrote uh, wonderful movies like The Wolfman and I Walked with a Zombie. So I'll be darned. He, re he wrote the screenplay for I Walked with a Zombie. And uh, I didn't recognize the name, but uh, I can see I can see the Wolfman and I Walked with a Zombie in Bride of the Gorilla. One of the biggest connections that I see with the Wolfman, of course, is that uh, this one is starring Lon Chaney Jr. He plays a part of the police commissioner. He's supposed to be a South American native, which is just not believable. Um, I was I was actually disappointed by Lon Chaney's role and his performance in this at all. It's very uneven. Uh, his acting is good sometimes, but really bad other times. So, yeah, Lon Chaney did not impress me this time around. Um, but uh, this thing takes place in the South American jungle. It opens up with jungle animal stock footage. And I'm talking lots of them. Monkeys, snakes, cheetahs, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but the rest of the movie feels like a stage play, and which is... Kind of interesting that we have that feel for a movie, a horror movie, in 1951. Uh, it's a little late for that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, this was so similar to The Wolfman. I think they should have just called this The Gorilla Man, <laughs> you know? Um, I don't, yeah, maybe the director here, Mr. Siodmak, was out of ideas or something. He'd kind of... Everything he had went into The Wolfman and I Walked with a Zombie, and everything else that he did was just kind of an offshoot of that. Um, especially in the way that they did the transformation scenes, what we did have of the Gorilla Man here, <laughs> uh, looked a lot like the Dissolves. You know, they, they kind of, the special effects was still developing at this point, so they would take a shot where the guy's hands were normal, and then they take another shot where there was just a little bit of makeup on it, and then another shot where it got a little more makeup, and he got maybe a little hairy, and they kind of dissolved 
between these shots, and that's how they did the transformation. Well, same thing here. Uh, the whole reason the guy transforms into a gorilla at all is because of a curse that uh, this witch puts on him. So yeah, same thing as in The Wolfman. We got the exotic location. We're in the South American jungle. Of course, we have Lon Chaney Jr., which is, you know, he's the Wolfman. Um, but the main difference here in between this movie and The Wolfman is that in The Wolfman, you actually care about Lon Chaney Jr.'s character. You, you really do. He's seen as a victim. He's been afflicted with this horrible curse of becoming a werewolf. But uh, in this film, you don't, you don't like the guy who turns into a gorilla. It's not Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, he actually he plays the police commissioner who is chasing the gorilla man. Uh, so uh, the guy who actually turns into a gorilla is named Barney. And you, you don't like this guy at all from the very beginning. And you think he pretty much deserves everything that's happening to him. And he's just a weird guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we're on a jungle plantation in South America. Uh, the guy who owns it, whose name is Mr. Van Gelder, uh, hires Barney, this guy, to run the plantation. But Barney is totally smitten with the owner's beautiful young wife, whose name is Dina. And so, while the owner isn't around, he tells his wife that, you know, she should really be the kind of lady that travels and has a lot of fun. Not, not cooped up here in the jungle, you know, just living here her whole life. She should be out in the world doing things because she's so young and beautiful. And of course, he's just, you know, trying to get with her. So, of course, you know, kind of superficially she denies him. But you can tell that underneath she's actually considering this. She's charmed by Barney. But, uh, you know, Barney, Barney's been around the block a few times, you know, with some of the uh, workers there on the plantation. So he's got kind of a reputation for that sort of thing. He ends up getting in an argument with the owner, with Mr. Van Gelder, and he ends up getting himself fired. But, of course, now the wife comes to him and begs him not to go. So Barney confronts Mr. Van Gelder. They get into this fist fight in the middle of the night. And uh, as you're watching this whole scene unfold, it's really confusing at first as to how exactly Mr. Van Gelder dies. Because it looks like he's hit in the stomach by Barney, he falls to the ground, he sees this horrifying image of a snake coming towards him, it looks like a boa constrictor, and then he just kind of dies, and the music gets really weird. But, um, you know, what actually happens, and it's explained further on, is that this snake was supposed to be a poisonous snake that bit him while he was on the ground and that he actually died from poisoning from the snake's venom. And of course, we have this woman in the background that sees this all happen, sees the fight, sees the snake bite, and she's actually a witch and she's kind of milling around the, the whole plantation here, the whole movie. So Barney leaves and uh, she puts a curse on him. Uh, she sees the corpse of Mr. Van Gelder uh, so Barney is now cursed. He ends up marrying the wife, of course, didn't see that coming. But really weird things start to happen. I mean, this is a bummer. On your wedding night, he starts feeling really weird. They, they're in their bedroom. She is in this beautiful gown. She is ready for them to, to you know, just get it on. And, uh, he starts feeling really weird and runs out into the jungle. He's like, I gotta go. <laughs> he runs into the jungle uh, supposedly transforms into a gorilla, does some horrible things, rips some animals apart, supposedly, and then he passes out and transforms back into a man. And, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the rumors of this giant animal 
stalking the woods, uh, start to circulate throughout everybody. They call him the jungle demon that takes different shapes. And he's tearing animals apart and is likely to be a threat to humans. So the police are now involved in this. Lon Chaney is very concerned about this. Um, actually, he and one of uh, Mr. Van Gelder's friends who are around this whole time, they suspect that Barney killed him just to marry his wife to get ownership of the plantation because now, of course, you know Barney owns the plantation along with the wife. And uh, so the commissioner thinks that Barney is actually this jungle demon for some reason. He puts two and two together. He comes to this conclusion, I don't know how, but he just has a feeling that Barney is the guy transforming into this jungle demon. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, of course, Dina now has married this guy. She's looking forward to getting out of the jungle. She's like, this is the guy that told me I should be traveling the world, having fun. So now I married this guy and we're going to go out of the jungle and, and experience all the things that the world has to offer. And uh, all of a sudden, he wants to stay in the jungle because he's like Jungle Man now. He, he transforms, supposedly, into this gorilla. And he's happy there. Doesn't want to leave. And so there's a whole big controversy uh, and the police eventually hunt him down, they kill him, while he's in gorilla form, carrying Dina through the jungle. And, you know, this whole thing is confusing. Um, you know, was, was the gorilla thing real, or was it all kind of in his mind? And you can't tell whether he's imagining this whole gorilla thing. And you're really not sure yourself. And, and when I watched this at first, I was really confused. Um, but the more I read into it, this is kind of what the director did, and he intended for it to be a little confusing, kind of like I Walked with a Zombie. And uh, so we saw that carrying over, but I don't think he did it as well in this because it's very low budget. And so you're not sure whether it's just these were just bad filmmakers and they just weren't clear in what they actually wanted to happen or if this was actually intentional, you know, you, you didn't know. And so apparently it was intentional. I, I just don't think it was executed as well. But that isn't to say that uh, I didn't like this movie. Actually, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was. I mean, the, the jungle and uh, the whole gorilla thing, you know, I really liked the spookiness of it all. You know, we had good lighting. We had good camera work. We had a great score. Uh, it was just too bad that so much of it was implied, you know. Uh, I, I could have used more more violent scenes, more scares, more of the gorilla. Um, but all of the action was either implied or talked about. It's very, very dialogue-driven, as were a lot of movies of this, this era. It's just crazy, weird, 50s, sci-fi, horror, weird stuff. So, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10, Brad of the Gorilla. You can watch it online on YouTube, like I said, for free. So, give it a watch sometime. It's it's one of those fun movies. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's okay. 6 out of 10. What you're looking at here. What you're looking at here. Is the future. The I am the master. I am the master. NG, my friend. NG, my friend. No. Good. No, no, I have good. a lot of outfits. I have a lot of my outfits. You can end up living in a YMCA. I've been a mechanic. I've been a mechanic. I've been a lawyer. I've been a lawyer. Oh no, Floyd! Oh no, Floyd! I know how good you I are. Good you beat the champion over in Shimbugan Rock County. County. Hey, let's break this guy's thumb. Let's break thumbs. this guy's Probably just come in for Probably a sandwich. Come in for order a Coke or something. Order a Coke or something. Sandwich. Sandwich. And that's what I do. I order. That's what I do. I order a sandwich. Have a Pepsi. Have a Pepsi. What can you do with a trophy? What can you do with a trophy? Don't spend. Collect dust. Collect dust. That's about all you can do. 
do about a trophy. Oh, you're going to put a trophy? You're going to put a trophy up for collateral. Yeah. Well, the guy at the bank doesn't think so. Doesn't think so. And I don't either. And I don't either. I like cash. I like cash. Get the cash. Get the cash. Pull out a big wad. Pull out a big wad of cash. Cash. That's where it's at. That's where it's at with me. You can have the trophies. You can have the trophies. Well, if you listened to last week's podcast, I played an original song that I'd written called Watershed, and it was an acoustic version of the song. I played most of it on acoustic guitar, or all of it, all of it on acoustic guitar, uh, and uh, except for the drums, duh. But uh, what am I talking about here? Um, Watershed, I've done so many versions of this song, and I, I addressed that last week. And one of the song, one of the versions that I did was on bass, and I've recorded this so many times. But the version I'm going to play for you now is actually my favorite recording of it. Uh, it's switched up a little, uh, actually quite a bit from last week. The main part is a lead bass that I'm slapping because I thought the the acoustic line that I played from last week would be so much fun to slap on a bass. So I did that. I'm slapping a bunch of things, but I had to change uh, one or two of the parts. And uh, there are also no words in this. This is all just a big, man, just a punch in the face kind of uh, really crazy version of it. Um, I played this for my friend, uh, and uh, the one comment that he made about it was he, he said, Well, Corey, I don't remember this song being quite so busy. <laughs> and this is a, a very busy version of it, but I love it. I love it. This song was so much fun. Um, so I have a couple basses in here, I have a couple lines of guitars, and I play a drum set in this song. So, enjoy. Let me know which one you like better, either the acoustic version that I played last week, or the one that I'm going to play for you right now. So, enjoy. This is called Watershed. of another show i gotta go ration my time off again and, and move to my next project that i'm doing and i gotta work and i gotta do home stuff and I, you know 
man, man. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, next week, uh, hopefully, keeping my fingers crossed that uh, Invisible Invaders DVD comes in and I can talk about that. I also began to watch the movie from 1993 that's a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And this one's just called Body Snatchers. And uh, I began to watch it, and I intended on talking about it this week, but I was interrupted halfway through. I had to pause it, and then I never got back to it because uh, I got involved in some work things. So, yeah, I'm going to finish that off for next week. We'll talk about Body Snatchers from 1993, and uh, I'll have a lot of other stuff for you, hopefully. But I'm going to keep plugging away at my novel. I'm hopefully going to get more work done on my movie. But, uh, I don't know, with Thanksgiving coming up, man, it's like... Ah, yeah, things are busy, so I'm going to do the best I can. Thank you for listening. Call the voicemail of death, which is 814-806-2828. Go to my website and hang out at midnightcory.com. And yeah, that's the end of the show. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you again next week.
کار 